You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. He starts out here in verse 12. He says, but we request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. This seems like a very self-serving passage for any, any pastor to teach, but it's chock full of, I wanted to take, this is our entire passage for tonight, and I wanted to take the time because the biblical view and the biblical model for leadership is very different from what we see outside the church. God, for some reason, that at many times to us is very unclear, decides to use and work through human beings in leadership roles in the community. He loves working through people. And I say that it it sort of befuddles us because people are so flawed. And, you know, the the, the joke is that, you know, the, uh, the church would work great if it weren't for the people, right? But that also includes the pastors. Like, we are all far less put together than we ought to be for the kind of work that we're all trying to do. We have a lot of problems. And yet God decides to work through people with lots of problems. If you look at the examples from the Bible of the people that God uses, Moses, David, Nehemiah, Peter, Paul, John, just as a few examples, there's really three things that they have in common. They're flawed. These are people who make not little mistakes, but big mistakes that demonstrate a lot of God's truth by breaking God's truth and who live in such a way, you know, characters in the Bible are not these grandiose, perfect people other than Jesus Christ himself. He's the only perfect person that has ever roamed the earth, according to the Bible. And yet God works through these flawed people who are selfish, who are greedy, who are rude, who are prideful. He chooses to work through human agency. But on the other hand, one of the things that you really see through these biblical leaders is they're teachable. The difference between a good leader and a bad leader in the Bible doesn't really have so much to do with how righteous they are because none of them are righteous. But the ones who succeed, the ones who flourish, are willing to admit when they're wrong, willing to learn from their mistakes, willing to confess not only to God but to men that they have problems and that they've made mistakes and they're willing to own it and grow as a result of those things. And the third thing they all have in common is they pay a heavy price. It's not easy to stand forward and to lead a community of people under any circumstances, but in the biblical framework, you're leading a community through a war, a war for the souls of mankind with a dastardly enemy who wants to see you and everything you stand for and all the work that you're trying to do discredited and destroyed. Another really important framework that we, we want to get in early here is this idea that in the Bible, 
leadership is based on serving. I think a lot of us have experienced leaders in the world, whether they're at school, on athletic teams, at work, in the neighborhood. These are people who tend to be ladder climbers. They're trying to clamor up and trying to garner resources and influence and power and esteem so that they can use those things in order to convince or even compel others to do what they want to do. But this is not the way that biblical leadership works. This is not who Jesus was. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 9, 35, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. The greatest among you will be the lowest among you. And that's a very challenging paradigm. That's something that we see and we we buck against. Not only because we have so few examples of people who actually live this way, but it's hard to imagine because our concept of leadership is often tied up in charisma and power and influence and intellect and ability. Very few, very rarely would we see someone who is just all the time helping other people, laying down their lives for others. We would recognize that and we would say, that person is a servant. But would we say they're a leader? Is that a primary value that we look for in the people who lead the church? This verse is meaty. He gets in and he says, but we request of you, brethren, that we appreciate those who diligently uh, labor among you. And I think it's interesting. A lot of times you get into these Bible translations. I like the NASB for teaching because it's just, it's, it's less interpretive. It's a little harder to read, but it makes things more clear. But if you read this passage in the New Living Translation and the NIV, they have a hard time agreeing on what this is, but I think, you know, Bible translators are old disgruntled pastors in most cases. And, you know, what they're, what they're communicating here is that there should be some sense of, of reverence, which that does come later. But what this word here is oida, and it means to understand it or acknowledge. And I think the true sense of what's being said here is, is that I request of you that you recognize, that you understand, that you acknowledge that leadership and leaders are a necessary part of community. It's really not about appreciation in the sense of, of giving them praise. It's understanding the role and what would happen to a community of people that had no one to lead them. And so when you see somebody who's exercising, who's taking on a measure of responsibility, of ownership, of the direction of the group. That's something that we need to recognize is a necessary and biblical component of what it is that God wants to accomplish among his people. Acknowledging the role of leaders here is more like saying, listen, we've got to have them. And remember that and live that way as we come together as a community, understand that there have to be 
people that God is working through to organize and bring us together in a meaningful way. Otherwise, everybody's job is nobody's job. And you'll never really accomplish anything. And I think another aspect of what he's saying here is understand that these roles are needed, they're biblical, and it's a difficult and necessary job. Most of you here attend a home Bible study, whether it's online with Zoom right now or whether it's outside the cold or whatever you're doing with masks and six feet apart and all the different things that that we have had to do for the last year, but it's going to be a year in like two weeks. And I think this has been an extraordinarily difficult year to lead a home church. Because the stakes have gone up and the opinions have gone up and the, the burden of trying to figure out what to do has become exceedingly complicated. And it's a good time, I think, to step back and think about how those leadership teams have really striven to figure out what it looks like to continue to live in a biblical sense of community in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. I think what Paul is saying here, and this tone comes through over and over again as we read through this section is, please don't make the jobs of leaders more difficult than it needs to be. Trying to lead human beings is a lot like trying to train a cat. It's complicated and it's difficult and It doesn't always feel like you're getting to where you need to be or where you want to go. And everybody's got an opinion, but very few people have responsibility. And that we need to recognize the importance of that role and the job that people in that role are doing and help them not have a difficult time of it. This does not mean, though, put them up on a pedestal. This is one of the great problems in many faiths, in many organizations, but I think we see it more clearly in a lot of ways in Christianity than anywhere else where there's a desire to take a pastor or a leader or someone who's got some sense of spiritual authority and put them up on a pedestal and treat them differently than we treat others. That's something that we've striven against here in our church model. This is why we rotate teachers. This is why all elders and home church or sphere leaders and CT teachers also attend home groups. And it's like leaders need to be in the midst of community, not held above as though they had more power or more spirituality or God listened to their prayers more than anyone else. There's a real danger in destroying some of the most gifted and able leaders among us simply by putting them up on a pedestal and withdrawing from them the things that they need, the basic fundamental requirements that we all understand of what's needed for spiritual growth. The dangers of the pedestal are many. Leaders become disconnected from community. You know, in the last couple years, the 
the, the jury's sort of in on the whole megachurch model. And there have been so many massive superstars in the Christian world who have gone down in flames because they allowed themselves to be put on a pedestal. Many of you are aware of what happened with Bill Hybels at Willow Creek. Most recently, there was Ravi Zacharias. Men who got into the ministry with good intentions, who were incredibly gifted and who were used by God in powerful ways. I'm not here to dump on those guys. They are not monsters. They are people who did monstrous things. And they have to deal with and be responsible for their actions. Yet we can also look at the way that these mega churches and their pastors have fallen apart. And we have to say there's something unhealthy about this mechanism. When we put people up on a pedestal and, we, and leaders do not need to, well, you know, they wouldn't attend a home church because, you know, everybody would flock to their group. Or, you know, they become uh, so big in people's minds that they can't just walk and hang out and talk with people. There always has to be sort of these airs that are put on and they have to act more spiritual and they feel this pressure that they have to hide their sin because people are expecting something from them that they don't expect from anybody else. And it creates a lack of accountability. Who really knows what's going on with these guys? Who's really in there and who do they feel the freedom to talk honestly about the temptations that they're suffering that come with the fame of that kind of role? People begin to see these people with awe and they become intimidated to question even suspect, suspect things that they see and hear about that individual and ultimately in the eyes of the organization, they become too big to fail where many people know that there are serious problems happening with these spiritual leaders, but they don't want to be the one to out that leader and discredit the lifetime of work that it seems that God has used them. And so what happens is it gets to the point where it's so bad, it's so rancid, it's so corrupt that it implodes upon itself and then tens of thousands are affected. Putting a leader on a pedestal is one of the most cruel things we can do. And it is not the example that we see in Christianity of how leaders are supposed to be treated. He says, we request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Leadership is hard work. It's not just the time that it takes. It's not just the gifting that it takes. It's not just the energy that it takes, but it's the, the weight of the responsibility. Whether you're leading a men's Bible study or a home church or a sphere or the entire church itself, it doesn't really matter from the standpoint of you are taking this on and you are saying, I am going to do my best to serve and care for God's people, walk in integrity, be accessible, and be honest about my own shortcomings and my own failings. And the emotional bandwidth that that takes up 
is virtually impossible to sustain if it weren't for God. For the word of God and for the Holy Spirit and the way that he will supernaturally bolster those who come to him and receive living water. It's hard to be accountable. It's hard to be in charge and making decisions and being questioned all the time and then also inviting people to criticize you. Because a lot of times in any leadership role, you get a lot of criticism and it's very easy to want to push back and just shut down and harden your heart to the criticism that's coming because much of it is unfair. But when you close yourself off to criticism from people, you teach them that it's not okay to tell you that you're wrong. And you isolate yourself and you set yourself up for major failure. The job of the leader ultimately is to build consensus. It's not to go around telling people what to do. It's to try to persuade and, and build people into a, a, an agreement about a direction that they've prayed about, they've consulted the word, they've looked at the situation, and they've decided this is the way we need to go. When he says that these leaders diligently labor among you, he's talking about this is the way that it's supposed to work. People who are right in the middle of the community, who are accessible, you know, one of the things that I've said several times this last year is, I wish it was the 80s. Because in my mind, I keep thinking, you know, like I've, I've talked with Conrad about this several times, and it's like, wouldn't it be awesome if someone had a gripe or an opinion or a critique or a concern, if they had to dial a telephone and call you, or if they had to get a pen and paper and an envelope and a stamp you know, it's so, you're so accessible in the 21st century. Someone can sit down and type something out without thinking twice about it. And that's a tension that I think not only we live in, but home church leaders live in. You know, you can sit down and three seconds in a moment of passion, write out some kind of complaint or some kind of critique that you don't even mean. You're just upset and you want to vent. And it's so accessible, it's hard to resist the temptation. But as leaders, when you receive that in mass, there becomes this desire and this temptation to say, I want to remove myself. I want to be harder for people to reach. And this is a ploy. This is a tactic of the evil one to create that same isolation, that same alienation. And it's something that has to be resisted. Your leaders are the people that are wading in to the conflicts and the relationships in your group. You know, to be in that situation where you're trying to shepherd, a, you know, a group of 10 or 15 families, that's 15 marriages, that's 30 kids, that's neighbors and people, and the drama that's involved with that can be amazing. We can generate a lot of drama. And naturally, all of us see the drama happening and we want to distance ourselves from it. But the leader is the one who's called to move towards that drama. Not to insert themselves in an authoritative way, but to move towards alienation in a healing way. 
and to engage with people and try to bring the word of God and the truth of God and prayer into very painful, very complicated situations. And while they do that, they're also supposed to be training up new leaders, equipping them, helping them get ready, and they're supposed to model it in such a way that other people want to do it which is very difficult to do sometimes because it's very hard. You know, Conrad and I took over the senior pastorship of the church when uh, Dan and Gary stepped down for their role two years ago. And uh, during that time, early in that, uh, that transition, a lot of people were saying, you know, are you excited? Are you? And it was, on, I mean, to be dead honest, the feeling that it had uh, for Conrad and I both was, right now, we are in a significant enough leadership role that we can basically do the things that we want to do and follow the vision and the burden that God has given us, but we can always hide under Dennis and Gary's skirt if we need to. And when Dennis and Gary came in and said, okay, we want you guys to take on the responsibility, it felt like two guys coming out of a room and they're black and blue and they've got their arms in a cast and they look like they've had the hell beat out of them and they're saying, want to go in there? And it was like, But that picture is too small. That's not the real picture. A a leadership role is an opportunity to serve. If you think about biblical leaders like Abraham, said Abraham was the friend of God. Moses used to sit and speak with God as one man speaks to another. David was a man after God's own heart. Leaders get the opportunity to experience a greater need of closeness with God. Not because they're leaders, but because they recognize the need more. Because they are in over their heads. Every leader you know is in over their head in Christian leadership. It's kind of a a necessary requirement is that you understand this is beyond your capabilities of doing and it will drive you to intimacy with God because there's no other choice. And frankly, for many of us, that's the only way we ever get close to God is when we're constantly in situations where there's no other choice but to depend on him or be destroyed. Am I painting a great picture? It kind of is. It kind of is an awesome picture. Because as you do that, you get to experience being used by God in more ways. Because there's more opportunity. Because you're saying yes. Leaders, at the end of the day, should be people that are just regularly saying yes to opportunities that God gives them. And if you just continually say yes to God, you'll find yourself in some kind of leadership role. Because that's what a leader is from a biblical standpoint. Leaders have the responsibility to encourage and confront. And sometimes the encouraging part is more difficult than the confronting part. Just being the one who's taking the time to notice what other people are doing and formulate it in a way that they can hear you and be inspired and be encouraged because they are doing something good. And a lot of times we're annoyed when people are doing bad things and we can't wait to tell them to knock it off. 
In a lot of ways, it's easier to confront things that are going wrong than to take the time to really reach out and inspire and pray about and convey a message to someone about how amazing their impact for God is. He says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you and the Lord. This is the idea of biblical authority and the verse that always comes to mind and has my entire Christian life is Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. There's so much tied up in that. And I've hated that verse my entire life. Because it makes me very uncomfortable. Obey your leaders. You know, it's one thing to obey God and to recognize that he is greater than you are and that he knows more than you are and that he is better than you are at everything. But to acknowledge something like that in another human being? The point here is, is that obedience in this context means obey them as far as they represent God's values and are consistent with God's word. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And when people step forward in sacrificial love and they represent that well and accurately to us, then we should get behind that, not because of who they are, but who, because of who God is. Obey your leaders doesn't mean don't question them. They are flawed human beings and they need to be questioned. Obey your leaders doesn't mean don't disagree. There's nothing wrong with dissenting and offering other opinions and other ideas, asking questions and and even warning. I think we're headed in the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with being willing to offer alternatives, but we have to develop a sense of the difference between what might be a strategic issue and what might be a moral issue. If you disagree with the strategy Either way, though, it's not evil. Then you should express your opinions, express your concerns, and go along with the person who is actually responsible and who's going to pay the price if it fails. On the other hand, if somebody wants you to do something that's clearly immoral, then that's when you plant your feet and you say, my leader ultimately is God and I will not go against what he says. And any leader who's worth their salt will appreciate the fact that there are others who are willing to engage with them on those levels. Obey your leaders does not mean blindly follow them. But it does mean don't make it more difficult for them than it already is. Don't become that person who critiques everything and never offers a solution. Don't become that person who only knows how to tear down and never gets involved in building. Obeying your leaders means understanding the leader is responsible for the decisions that they make. Each one of us are responsible for the decisions that we make. Some of you here are leading home churches and leading uh, men's groups and women's groups and things like that. And There's a great temptation. One of the things that you find out when you try to get into leading people is there are some people who are more than happy to let you make their decisions for them because they want you to be responsible when it goes wrong. 
And that's something we have to very much be aware of, that it is not our job to tell people what to do. As a young Christian, I remember reading Hebrews 13, 17, and it was the obey part that I hated for all the reasons that I've talked about here. I don't even see that part anymore. What I see is that the leader will give an account for your soul. As a leader, that's something that I think we have to examine very soberly and very carefully. And it's difficult because you can always do better. You know, when you you imagine yourself standing before God and he says, so what did you do concerning my child, so-and-so? And you're always gonna think, about what you could have done better. Because we're flawed, because we're imperfect, we always could have loved people more. We always could have been more patient, more kind. We always can look back in hindsight and think about how we would have done things differently. But the thing that we need to do, we need to really consider and wrestle with is, are we doing the best we can for the good of others? Can we stand before God and say, I'm flawed, I'm imperfect, but I try. I tried to do what was right. I tried not to be selfish. I tried to encourage. I tried to give them the guidance that they seemed to need. I know there isn't one case where I did anything perfectly. And fortunately, God in his grace replies, well done, good and faithful servant. But as leaders, we do need to consider the fact that we will give an account for the people we've been entrusted with. It is a stewardship of the highest order. There is nothing more valuable to God than his children. And the way that we love and treat and lead and encourage and serve his children is something that we will give an account for. Finally, he says, for those who diligently labor among you have charge over you in the Lord and who give you instruction. This give you instruction is interesting too. This word is nutheteo, which means to impart understanding. And the last point I really want to make here is the importance of leaders understanding their job is not to make people's decisions for them. It's not to cajole people, to manipulate people, to pressure people. The job of the leader is to help people make informed decisions for themselves. And this can be very difficult to do because we are really, really good at lying to ourselves. And this is why we need community. This is why we need each other. You could come up with all the right reasons for the things that you want to do that are the exact opposite things that you, sh- w- that you should be doing, the exact opposite things that God wants you to do. It's so easy to convince yourself that you're better at something than you actually, that, that when you actually aren't, or that you're bad at something that you're actually good at, or that you should do something that you know is selfish because it will have a, a, a great effect for the greater good. We are so good at lying to ourselves, and leaders, when they are operating the way that God wants them to operate, they come in and they don't say, you can't do this. They say, the word says, if you do this, you're in rebellion against God. Let me take you to the scriptures and show you the path of destruction that you are potentially on if you head down this road. 
And then if you head down that road, I will pray for you. I will support you. I will try to be there for you in the way that is most loving for you. But ultimately, each person is responsible for the decisions that they make. Finally, he says, and I ask that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. That these are people that we should encourage. Leaders need encouragement. They need love. They need accountability. They need guidance. And it's not going to come as much from other leaders as it is from the people that they lead. And so we'll close there with the idea, show your home church leaders some love. It's been a tough year. And to think about You know, you've had a hard time, but think about what it's like to try to navigate groups of people through all the craziness and take some time and pray. Don't necessarily just pull them aside tonight, but think about how you can really encourage them. They are some of the most amazing, some of the most incredible people that I've ever met in my life are leading home groups in this church. And it is our honor, it is our privilege, it is our joy to be connected with them and working with them. But nothing that we do would work if there weren't people willing to step up and serve and really take the concern of others and make it more important than themselves. Well, why don't we pray? Thank you, God, for the people who have gone before us and led and been examples and Um, have had incredible stories and um, incredible passion. Thank you for all the people that have led the home groups that I've been a part of. Thank you for our elders, for Dennis, for Gary, for just so many examples of people who have set the bar for what biblical community and leadership and teaching look like. We're all the beneficiaries of that. And thank you that we also can understand that all of them are flawed and have made mistakes and have, have hurt others along the way, but that we have a context for understanding that and for growing and moving forward. Uh, and thank you for those among us here tonight who are willing to be leaders and who are moving toward leadership in whatever capacity that is, not just as teachers and not just as disciplers, but in hospitality and mercy and compassion and the full gambit of what it means to be a follower of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.